So tonight we're continuing this series called The Road to Recovery. We're talking about recovery and the fact that we all need recovery because we all struggle with sin and a sinful nature. We have a ministry at our church called Celebrate Recovery that is focused on this every week. And uh, it's not necessarily something that everyone needs to go to, but I do think that there's a lot of people who should be going to it, who it would really help. I think this series is so timely because we're heading into the holiday seasons and people with mental health, two thirds of them say that the holidays make their struggles worse. So that tends to lead to destructive habits and things people do to numb the pain and and forget their problems. And that's why talking about recovery and how God wants to help us break free from hurts and habits and hangups, how we can find healing and victory in Jesus, this is the perfect time to talk about this. If you've missed the previous weeks as we've been talking about this, uh, the word recovery is an acrostic, so each letter spells out one of the steps. We've already gone through the first four steps. I'm not gonna recap them because I don't like doing recaps. That's punishing the people who were here last week. So you gotta go back and listen online. I'm gonna jump in uh, right here to step five. Tonight is step five. I'm gonna start out here. It says this, voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. I have character defects, and so do you. I remember when I was growing up in 2002, uh, a pop star named Christina Aguilera released a song. She sang, you are beautiful in every single way. Oh, words can't bring you down. And I I hear that, (laughs) no, no, you don't have to laugh. You don't have to clap. Okay, maybe a little. This song, I think, became like the anthem for every insecure junior high girl ever, right? Like, (laughs) yes, I am beautiful. I'm perfect just like I am. And and I hear that song and I'm like, not me. I'm not beautiful in every single way. I've got some problems. I've got some defects. And I don't even need your words to bring me down because I'm really good at bringing myself down. And unless God does something good in my life, I'm going to struggle. And that's the same for, I think, most of us. Why do we have these defects? Well, it's complex. There are several things that are at play there. One of them is your genetics, nature, and your biology, the way that you were born. And maybe uh, you have a genetic predisposition to struggle with certain things. Maybe you have a a, a genetic chromosomal predisposition to be tempted to certain things. And that's something that, you know, you can find yourself wrestling with. But contrary to what the world says, I want you to know, God does not use a, a genetic predispositions. He doesn't view that as an excuse to sin. Okay, so understand that. And then we have sociological problems, our circumstances, and that's more of a nurture aspect, like the family you grew up in, the people that you grew up around. You learned some things. You learned some patterns of behavior. You might have picked up some bad habits and some coping mechanisms to deal with frustration or disappointment that weren't constructive for you. And then there's theological problems. We all have a sinful nature, and that leads us to oftentimes make choices that are not pleasing to God and actually damaging to us. So we have these defects for different reasons. Why is it so hard to change? Why is it so hard to change the defects in my life? Good question. Well, one, you're used to your defects. You've had some of them around for a long time, right? Like an old pair of running shoes. They might be worn out, uh, not good for running anymore, but you keep wearing them because they're broken in and comfortable, 
Like you didn't get here overnight is the truth. And you're probably not gonna change overnight unless God just does some kind of huge miracle in your life. It's hard to change because we tend to identify with our defects. It's often we we will say things like, well, that's just the way I am. Oh, I I just don't trust people and that's just the way I am. I I just have a, a short fuse and a temper problem. That's just who I am. The thing is, you don't have to stay that way. You can change. You don't want to say that's just the way I am. Uh, People, I think sometimes they will subconsciously be afraid of changing because they identify with their defects. Like, well, I've always been the life of the party. So if I stop drinking, am I still going to be who I am? Am I still going to be me? Then we tend to often get a payoff of some type from our defects Usually there's some kind of reward in the short term for our sinful choices, either something that makes us feel good or numbs the pain or takes our guilt away or it allows us to manipulate people and control them and get what we want. If there wasn't a payoff, we wouldn't do them. We wouldn't do these things, right? And then Satan, your enemy, he is working to keep you defective. He is working to keep you stuck. Some of you have been coming to this series maybe, and you've been thinking like, yes, there are some things that I want to change. God, help me to change. And then you go out to the parking lot, you turn off the feed, right? And then right away, the devil's there whispering in your ear. Oh, no, 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 not so fast. That's not for you. Other people might be able to change, but not you. You're hopeless. You're a lost cause. You're going to be stuck with this forever. But you need to remember that Satan is a liar and the father of lies, right? He is the accuser of the saints and he knows he cannot stop God from setting you free. So what he tries to do is stop you from walking in freedom. So you can't listen to what the enemy says. He's using every dirty trick he can to keep you stuck. It says this in Romans chapter 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is how you experience God's change in your life. You let God change the way you think. The way you think. Because your thoughts are like the operating system for your life. Your thoughts will drive your choices. Your thoughts will drive your feelings and your feelings drive your actions ultimately. So you can try to willpower your way into change, but as soon as you get tired and anxious and worn out, you'll, you'll let go of that steering wheel and the autopilot operating system will take over and start steering you back towards the prison that God just led you out of. So you can't just willpower your way into freedom. You've got to learn a whole new pattern of behavior by allowing God to change the way you think. Like on my phone, I get these updates sometimes. A new software update is available. You ever see those? Some of you have been ignoring them for 10 years. That's why your phone is so slow. <laughs> and, and, and so you'll, you'll read it and it'll say, this update enhances user experience. This update fixes security issues. This update fixes bugs that were causing a crash. I need you to understand this. God has a software update for your soul. And this update allows you to live in full life. This update fixes insecurity that used to make you vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. You don't want to wait till later to download this. You want to do it right now and let God change the way you think. Here's seven ways that we can experience transformation in our lives so that we can be who God made us to be. First, I want you to focus on one change at a time. 
Focus on changing one of these defects at a time. You don't wanna come away from this uh, series and be like, okay, I've got 50 things I'm gonna change today. Here we go. Because as ambitious as that might be, you get an A for effort, but you're probably gonna get overwhelmed and easily discouraged trying to do so many things at once. In Proverbs 17, 24, it says, an intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. So I mean, I, spiritually, um, this is not a good time to be ADHD. You wanna just like focus in on one defect at a time. And what I do it, suggest is this. I, I, I recommend you pray and ask God, Lord, what do you want me to change first? What do you want me to focus on? Not, not what do I wanna focus on? Because the truth is, I'll probably start out focusing on the easy defects. The th like, oh, I need to be more organized. And God will be like, you need to deal with your pride. So I need to pray and ask God, what do you want me to focus on first? And then, and then I need to actually deal with that specifically. And this is where I wanna warn, don't be vague. Don't, don't just like pray, okay, God, help me to be like a better person. Cause that can be a form of denial in itself. Like everyone could be a better person. Like, you need to be specific. God, I need your help with my anxiety, with my anger, with my controlling nature, with my workaholic nature, right, with my dishonesty. Be specific. Here's the second thing. Focus on victory one day at a time. One day at a time. So this is a problem for a lot of us because what we want is our story to seem like a fairy tale where you come to church, you meet Jesus, and then they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> but that's not how it tends to work. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. Give us this day our daily bread, not monthly bread, not yearly, or from now till Jesus comes back. But we're supposed to rely on God every single day because he wants us coming back to him again every day to get the strength we need to be successful. So we gotta just pray, Lord, just for today, help me to be patient. God, I'm just asking you for this day to help me think pure thoughts and not lustful thoughts. God, just today, I wanna be positive. God, just today, I want you to help me have a good attitude at work even when people get on my nerves. Just today. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough troubles of its own, especially in 2020. You don't need to worry about tomorrow, just today. Rome wasn't built in a day and neither is godly character. Here's the third thing. Focus on God's power, not your own willpower. You already know that willpower isn't enough because if willpower worked, you'd already be changed. But you're not and so you can't. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So you pray, God, I know I can't change in my power. I'm asking for you to transform me into a new creation. And then what God's gonna do is he's gonna come in and he's gonna start to do spiritual brain surgery. The thing is, no matter how awesome or spiritual you are, you cannot do brain surgery on yourself, right? Like you, you, have, a, you have a brain issue, right? You can't go to the doctor. And, no, I'm, I'm good. I'll just use a mirror and just kind of like, I'll, I'll work it out. My, no, you need someone's help. And it's the same with God. You need him to do the miracle in your life. And then four, here's this. Focus on what you do want, not what you don't want. It's all about your focus. I think about when I was learning to drive and they said, um, you don't wanna look at the lines. You wanna look off into the distance at the horizon where you wanna go. You guys remember this? 
You know, you can always tell a new driver because they're just kind of like swerving in the lane. Or, or a snowbird, right? <laughs> Sometimes they're swerving out of the lane. <laughs> but if you focus on the line, you end up drifting towards the line. And that's what a lot of people do spiritually is they focus on the lines. Like, well, I can't cross the line. There's a rule here. I can't, I can't do it. If I, I got to stay away. And they end up inevitably drifting towards the thing that they're focused on. So what you got to do is think instead about where God wants to take you. You can't, you can't just, you know, sit there and stew in, in, in your thoughts and your struggles and try to resist them. Because it's more like the more you push, the harder they push back. You know, so if you're struggling with, with lust and you sit there like, okay, don't think about sex. Don't think about sex. Don't think. What are you thinking about? <laughs> if you're like, okay, uh, I'm not going to be depressed today. Don't be depressed. Don't be. It's depressing. <laughs> right? So in, instead, you've got to change your focus versus like Eastern religion where they teach meditation, like clear your thoughts, home, clear your thoughts, home. Like that doesn't work. Have you ever tried to clear your thoughts? Have you ever met anyone who's cleared their mind? No, maybe for like five seconds and then your phone rings or your kid calls out to you or something else. Like you can't, and the Bible never tells us to clear our mind. It tells us to fix our thoughts, to focus on certain things. Like in Philippians four, it says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So you're never supposed to think about nothing. You should always be focusing on what is right and pure and excellent and worthy of praise. So when some negative thought pops in your mind, some thought that you're like, oh, why did I even think that? Just go back to this. Okay, I gotta fix my thoughts on what is good, what's pure, what's right, what's admirable. You know, you don't just sit there, like if a bad TV show comes on, you don't just sit there like, don't watch this, don't watch this. No, like you change the channel. You change the channel. And that's the same thing you've gotta do when an unhealthy, destructive thought comes to your mind as a Christian. You've gotta change your focus to God's promises. And that's why I wanna encourage you. It's so beneficial to memorize some scripture verses. It's not just so you can get like a gold star on your you know, shirt when you come to church and you can like brag about, you. oh, I know Bible verse. No, it's because it actually helps you it actually helps you with this. You know, when, when thoughts pop in your mind, like thoughts pop in all of our minds, you know, like maybe you're just like struggling, like, oh, I'm such a loser. No, I can change the channel to Romans 8. It says we're more than conquerors through Jesus. Or like, oh, I sinned again. Oh, what is wrong with me? I'm so, I'm so gross and, and God could never accept me. Nope, changing the, thought, uh, the channel to First uh, John chapter one where it says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sins. I got to fix my thoughts, and so do you. And then here's the fifth thing. Focus on doing good, not feeling good. When you start trying to change these major defects, it's oftentimes not going to feel great, right? Because it's new, and it might be awkward for you. It could feel awkward for a while because it's not normal, if you're a workaholic, you know, and, and God is helping you change that, and at five o'clock you get in the car and you're gonna drive home to spend time with your family, like, you're not gonna feel good at first. You're gonna feel like, uh, I'm being lazy, or people are gonna judge me and think I'm not a hard worker, and everything's gonna fall apart if I'm not there to, to manage it. It's not gonna feel great. Like just, like, just like an addict has withdrawals from drugs, 
you can have withdrawals from your defects. In Galatians 5, it says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Sometimes our sinful nature craves what is wrong. That's not a secret, is it? Like, I'm not giving away state secrets here. Everybody knows that. Yeah, all of us. Sometimes our sinful nature craves what we know is wrong. That's why we can't be guided by our feelings. We've got to be guided by the Spirit. You cannot control your feelings. You can't. But you can control your muscles. No matter how much you have, right? You can control your muscles. You can choose to do what's right, even if you don't feel like doing what's right, knowing that your feelings will catch up to your actions. But you know, like ladies, if you don't feel like you love your husband, I'm gonna encourage you, act like you like your husband or love your husband. If you act like you love your husband, eventually you're gonna feel like you love your husband. If you act like you're happy, eventually you're gonna feel happier. You might have a hard time making friends, but if you act like you like people, eventually you're gonna feel friendly. So focus on doing good and eventually your feelings will catch up. Here's the sixth thing. This one's important. Get away from people who hinder you and get around the people who help you. <laughs> I'm gonna break some people up right now. If you, know, if you know that certain kinds of people tempt you, Stay away from them. Why? Why do we do that? Like, oh, I don't want to get stung, but I'm going to go stick my hand in a hornet's nest. Why do we often let the wrong people drag us to the wrong places where we know we're going to struggle? It's crazy that we do this. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. Someone's like, I thought that was a Chinese fortune cookie. No, it's from the Bible. This <laughs> is what God said. Can I just suggest something? Some of the people who you think are your friends are actually not. If someone stands by and laughs and cheers while you drink yourself into a stupor, not your friend. When someone mocks your faith, not your friend. When someone hinders your recovery, not your friend. Just because they're nice to you and laugh with you at work doesn't mean they're actually your friends. I think there are a lot of people in this church, you're actually socially surrounded, but you're spiritually isolated. Because you don't have the right kind of people in your life. You need to get the right kind of people in your life. You need to be in a life group. You need to be a part of a church. You need to be on a team so that you can have the people in your life you need who will have your back and help you win. Get around those kind of people. And then here's the seventh thing. Focus on progress, not perfection. I, I'll talk to Christians. They'll be like, man, I've been saved for like three months, Pastor Ryan, and I'm still struggling. I'm like, me too. <laughs> you know, it, really, none of us in this life are going to achieve perfection. I, I just don't believe it's possible. But you don't have to worry about that because it's not your job to fix you. It says in Philippians chapter one, he, God, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He who began a good work, God, the one who started the good work in you, he is not gonna leave you half completed. He's not gonna leave any project half done. He has got a plan to develop you into the image of Christ. And yes, there are gonna be times along the way when you stumble and you fall, but guess what? God knew that was gonna happen. He's not shocked. 
He's not even disappointed. He's already got a plan to take your mistakes and use them for good. As long as you keep loving him and trusting him. And he's gonna pick you back up. He's gonna encourage you as you move forward. And you might feel like I'm not making that much progress, but you don't even know the progress that God has, is making inside of you as he develops you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Just trust the process. Let God, let God do what God is alone able to do inside of you. We often want things to be done instantly. We want instant coffee, we have instant oatmeal, there are instant mashed potatoes, but nothing instant tastes good. True. But you know, our God is only good. He doesn't do instant. Even like your salvation was thousands of years in the making. And your recovery, as God transforms you into the image of Christ, it's a process. So what we do is we celebrate our progress and Christ's perfection. God's changing you one day at a time. So I, I wanna share a story with you. I get to hear a lot of stories like this, but I wanna share one story about CJ and how God has transformed his life as he's been a part of Celebrate Recovery. Check this out. My name's CJ. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who's overcome codependency, alcoholism, depression, and anxiety. My favorite scripture is John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it to an abundance, to the full, till it overflows. The devil has been trying to get me for decades to steal, kill, and destroy me, but God has a much bigger plan. Little bit about me. My father's a functioning alcoholic, and my mom was addicted to opiates and was extremely codependent. I have a younger brother, but his life has succumbed to addiction, and nobody knows where he's at. Unfortunately, my mom passed away nine years ago from a major heart attack as a result of the copious amounts of opiates that she was on. My younger years were filled with bullying, beatings, virtually every day until I got to be a freshman. Then I would come home only to face the abuse from my father and the neglect from my mother. We never went to church, so growing up this way had me looking for an escape in rebellion, alcohol, drugs, and just being a plain old people pleaser. I went to three elementary schools, two junior highs, and five high schools. I was banned from the district I attended my sophomore year in Tucson, and I eventually ended up living on the streets. I finally got arrested, and my mom picked me up and took me to Phoenix. I barely made it out of high school, and I kept up the rebellion. Eventually homeless again at 19, I found the rooms of AA and sobered up. I spent years looking for a higher power in all the wrong places. Finally, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ when I was 22. I found him in a great church, and I married a woman six months after meeting her from AA. Eventually, we had two amazing children. For 20 years, I was a periodic drunk where I would go months or years without drinking, but I was a dry drunk, angry, and relatively checked out of everything. I finally started back to church after a few years of walking away, living worse as a Christian than before I got saved. I was living in guilt, shame, and remorse. But we found a church and served there for several years until that pastor tried having an affair with my ex-wife. That sent her in a tailspin of addiction and shook me to my very core. Eventually, we found a great AG church and started healing. I got involved and served there as the leader of the men's groups, student ministries, and I was even able to start preaching Sunday services on TV once a month. 
However, when untreated dysfunctional people lead at church, it leads to major problems, including your spouse being kicked out of church. Yep, I've even been kicked out of church before. But you know what, today I'm friends with that pastor. I've had a time to make amends to him. Unfortunately, we had a very toxic marriage, and as we both came from dysfunctional families, our behaviors caught up with us from my codependency and my ex-wife's addictions. Eventually, we divorced. I became a single dad of two amazing children, and eventually I met an amazing woman, my wife, Tanya, who attends CR also. Man, did she endure a rough ride with me. While dating, I got a DUI, but she stuck with me through that and a lengthy custody battle with my kids. Codependency was leading my life. When my young son moved out, rather than accept it, I turned to the bottle. On the outside, it looked like I had it all okay, but on the inside, I was dying. I also looked like I just had a couple of beers, but secretly I was drinking all the tequila hidden in my home office. Every Sunday, I would sit in church hungover. I had the devil on one shoulder telling me I will never preach again. On the other side, I could hear the Holy Spirit saying, you'll never preach again until you quit drinking. Believe me, I tried everything, prayer, fasting, empty promises, but it never helped. I was in complete denial. I'm not an alcoholic. I have a great job. I'm the top sales guy. I have a family, a nice truck. Heck, I've even got a ton of money in the bank. Drunks live on the streets, just like the people I met in AA who lost it all, like I did when I was homeless at 19. What a lie from a pit of hell. I was in complete and total denial. Tanya's best friend told us to start attending CR, and after two years, we finally did. That was almost three years ago. I was working on my codependency, but still ignoring my drinking till I hit bottom, May 7th of 2018. That's when I surrendered it to Jesus. I finally confessed that I had a major problem. CR has set me free from the bondage of drinking and codependency. Plus, I've been able to work through most of my depression and anxiety. Today, I'm working on my emotional eating. I love hiding in the pantry, eating food I shouldn't, instead of talking to God about my problems. We spent two and a half years attending Tawatuki CR on Friday nights. A few months ago, after years of being invited to Awatuki Generation Church, we made it our home. It's the first time I've felt at home in eight years. CR has helped me to lead my family in a godly way. My kids attend here, and they absolutely love it. I was the laziest, undisciplined procrastinator you've ever met until CR. Now I'm down 70 pounds, I've been holding steady for over a year. I've done a triathlon in the middle of August here in Phoenix, preached a Sunday service at a old church, and currently I'm enrolled in Rockbridge Seminary for recovery ministry. I've always dreamed of working downtown as I love the atmosphere. Today, I get to work down there for my best friend, surrounded by several amazing ministries and churches that share space in my office area. I've only accomplished this by working the principles and steps of CR and by the power of Jesus Christ, my one and only true higher power. Don't wait until January 1st to stop your hurts, habits, or hangups. Join CR now and get started. Amen. That's awesome. Yes. Man, and I love that story just about how he experienced God's transformation in his life. There are many people like that in our church who already have experienced miraculous transformation. And I think there's more people who God wants to experience that kind of transformation. In order to experience change like that in your life, you've gotta understand this next step in the road to recovery. So I'm gonna jump into this step six, which says this, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who've hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. 
others. So we need to forgive and understand the power of forgiveness if we want to experience change. Why should I forgive? Well, first, because God has forgiven me. It says this in Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. As much as this is hard to hear, I will never forgive anyone more than God has already forgiven me. And regardless of what anyone has done to you, You'll never forgive anyone else more than God has already forgiven you. And then we need to forgive people because resentment, it hurts you. It just hurts you. It's why it says in Ecclesiastes, it's foolish to harbor a grudge. And in Job, it says this, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. Like, I remember this bully, like when I was in school, he'd be like, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, you know? And I think about when you hold on to unforgiveness, it's like the devil is doing that to you. You're cooperating with him as he hurts you with your own resentment. And then we need to forgive because in the future, we're all going to need God's forgiveness. In Mark 11, Jesus says, when you're praying, First, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Here's something that Jesus says in the Bible. It's recorded in multiple books. But he says, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. If you want to experience God's forgiveness, you've got to extend forgiveness to other people. And I know that in the future, I'm gonna make mistakes It's ironic that I would struggle to give other people the very thing I need most from God, which is forgiveness. So, man, God's forgiven me, resentment hurts me, and I'm gonna need his forgiveness in the future, so that's why we need to forgive. Okay, you're like, all right, I wanna do it. How do I forgive? Here's what you do. First, you've gotta reveal the hurt. You've gotta reveal the hurt. God cannot heal what you won't reveal. If you hide it and suppress it and act like it's no big deal, right? God's not gonna be able to heal it. And that's what a lot of people do, like, oh, it's fine, it's, it's no big deal. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't mean to hurt me, they did the best they could. Like, there's some people, they did not do the best they could. You know, no one really does the best they could. And it's good to just acknowledge it and say, I was hurt, admit it. You, got, you gotta confess it. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to admit I was hurt. It makes me feel weak or something. Am I the only one? It's hard to say, Yes, I'm hurt. That person hurt my feelings. Like, it doesn't feel good. But this is what you gotta do if you want to experience healing in your life. And and so I wanna encourage you, like, maybe even write it down. Make a list of exactly what someone did that hurt you that you're struggling with. Because sometimes we don't define it. It's just like this ambiguous, fuzzy thing. But write it down in black and white. Be specific. Then the next step is you gotta uh, release the offender. This is forgiving the person that hurts you, letting them go. You do it by forgiving them. You don't wait for them to ask you for forgiveness because some people never will. You do it whether or not they ask because it's not for their sake, it's for your benefit. Because God has forgiven you and resentment hurts you and you're gonna need forgiveness in the future. And the thing is you'll probably have to forgive people more than once. If someone hurt you, you're probably gonna have to forgive them more than once. Jesus experienced this where Peter came in Matthew 18 and asked him a question. Peter asked Jesus this. 
He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Seven times? Like up to seven times? And Jesus kind of dropped the mic. Like, no, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. Like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me 77 times, shame on me. I got to forgive you 77 times. It's not a one-time deal where you're like, okay, I forgive you, and then it's over. Because those feelings oftentimes come back. Those feelings of hurt come back, and every time they come back, you've got to forgive again. It might take three times, or it might take 300 times. People will ask, well, how do I know I've forgiven someone fully? It's when you can think about them, and it doesn't hurt anymore. When you can pray for God's blessing on them. When you can begin to understand that they're probably hurting too because hurt people hurt people. When you forgive someone, it's not always possible or even beneficial for you to go and actually talk to them about it. There are some times where the circumstances have changed. Maybe your parents hurt you 40 years ago and never knew about it. And if you go to them now and you tell them that they hurt you, you know, it could just crush them and not really be fair. There are some people that they remarried. Some people moved away. You don't know where they're at. Some people hurt you when they died. So what do you do in those kind of situations? One thing you can do is you can use what's called the empty chair technique, where you just like literally sit a chair down and you pretend the person is sitting in it and you tell them, okay, I gotta talk to you. You know, you hurt me and this is what you did and this is how it made me feel, but today I'm forgiving you because God has forgiven me and resentment doesn't work and I'm gonna need God's forgiveness in the future. Or you can write a letter and never mail it. Just put it, down, put it down in black and white, exactly what they did. Be specific and, and end it with, I'm forgiving you today. I'm releasing you, not for your sake, but so that I can experience freedom. And as you forgive people, you've got to replace your hurt with God's peace. In Colossians 3.15, it says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. One of the reasons that we struggle to forgive people is because it seems unfair. It seems like unfair. If I just, if I forgive them, it's like I'm letting them off the hook. It's like they're getting away with it scot-free. That's just not right. And that's not how it actually works. Our God is a judge and he is a God of justice. And he says in his word, I'm going to get the last word. I'm going to settle the score and every crime is going to be dealt with properly. That's why as a Christian, you've got to believe in hell. Not only did Jesus talk about hell more than heaven, but if there is no hell, then God cannot be a just God. People like Hitler would just get away with it scot-free. But God does get the last word and there will be justice. So you don't need to worry about getting even. You can let God settle the score and you can receive peace. But there's a second half to this step of forgiveness. It's not only forgiving the people that have hurt you, but also making amends to the people who you may have hurt yourself so that you can experience recovery and wholeness and healing. It says in Hebrews 12, 15, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Do you know anyone who's bitter? One of the things that makes us most bitter is relationship hurt. Unresolved relationship problems make us bitter. And it causes trouble in our lives. 
And there could be some other people out maybe who are struggling with troubles because they're bitter over a way that you possibly hurt them in the past. I know this part of the message is challenging, but this is important to understand. It could be that God wants to use your apology to help someone else break free from unforgiveness. It takes boldness and courage, but what if you let God use you in this way? How do you make amends to those you've hurt? How do you do this? First, I wanna encourage you, make a list. Uh, Write out exactly who you harmed and what you did. This is important because we tend to be too vague when we ask for forgiveness. Have you ever had anybody come up to you like, hey man, my bad. It's like, you're bad? I mean, what, what, what did you do exactly? Like, that's a terrible way to apologize, right? You need to be specific. Like, here's what I did, man, I, I hurt this person. And, and if you're like, I don't know if I've ever hurt anyone. Well, think about it. Have you ever borrowed something you didn't give back? Have you ever manipulated someone, broken a promise? Is there anyone who you have been unfair towards or overlooked or underappreciated? Have you been verbally, physically, emotionally abusive? Uh, Maybe there's been people you've been unfaithful to or lied to. Probably all of us have hurt someone at some time. Even as a pastor, man, there's been times when I, I, I've felt God dealing with me. I remember, you know, not that long ago, I was driving home from the church during the week I actually do work during the week. People ask me like, what do you do for a living? I I work. But I was driving home and God was like, hey, there's a person, you didn't treat them right. You didn't handle that situation right. You need to call and ask for forgiveness. And it's kind of hard sometimes. You have to overcome your pride to admit you were wrong. But God will use that. When you make amends, when you ask for forgiveness, it requires humbling yourself. And what does the Bible say? When you humble yourself, God will lift you up. As you make amends, do this. Number two is follow the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. That's not it. That's not it. Okay, here's what it is. In Luke chapter six, Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. So stop and think, how would I want someone to make amends to me? How would I want someone to come to me and ask for forgiveness? You would want them to do it the right way. You'd want them to come and do it at the right time in the right way. Ecclesiastes says there's a right time and a right way for everything. So you don't catch them at a bad time, like when someone's heading out the door, when they're laying their head down you know, on the pillow to go to bed, when a guy's about to give a big presentation. You don't come up to him like, hey, I got some things I gotta get off my chest. Like, that's selfish. You don't do it when it's convenient for you, you do it when it's good for them. And then do it with the right attitude. Ephesians says we speak the truth in love. So. We gotta make sure that we have the right attitude, a loving attitude. How would you want someone to to apologize to you? You'd want them to come and and be humble. You'd probably want them to do it in private and with sincerity. You don't want someone to come and apologize to you and then start justifying their actions and then start making excuses and turning it around about what you did and how you're actually responsible for what they did. Have you ever had anyone do that to you? They start apologizing and the next thing you know, they're telling you all the things you did wrong. And by the time they're done, you're like, why why are we even here right now, (laughs) right? Like, don't be that guy, (laughs) don't do it. I hate that, it's the worst. So when you apologize, when you make amends, just focus on your own shortcomings. Don't justify your actions. Focus on your part without expecting anything back from the other person that you're making amends to. Because they might not apologize back 
They might not be ready. They might never be ready, but you're not responsible for what they do. You do your part. It says this in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There are some people it is impossible to live at peace with. Right? There are like bad people. There are evil people in this world who will hurt you if you let them. It is impossible to live at peace with them. And then it says, as far as it depends on you. There are some people, they are not gonna reciprocate. They're not gonna open the door and have a conversation. But as far as you can, live with, uh, at peace with everyone. Try to make restitution when possible. Like I think about Zacchaeus, uh, a guy in, in scripture where Zacchaeus was a Jewish man, but he was a tax collector for the Romans. And he would steal from his own Jewish people. He would take more than what was required, give the Romans what was theirs, and then keep extra for himself. So he was a, a tax collector and he was a cheater, just pretty much like today. And uh, he... Eventually he met Jesus. Jesus came to his town and was like, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to have dinner with you. And Zacchaeus, when he met Jesus, it changed him and transformed him. He was completely changed. And here's what he said. I'm going to pay back four times what I stole from everyone. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this guy. This guy's saved. This guy's the real deal. This is what a Christian looks like. He put his money where his mouth is. You can't always make restitution, but when you can... It's good. The more serious your offense was, the less likely you'll be to be able to make restitution because there are some things you might take from someone you can't ever give back. But never underestimate the power of a sincere apology. There is something miraculously powerful about a sincere apology. You say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I'm asking for it and I wanna make amends if I can. And let me just close with this thought. As you're doing this, as you're asking for forgiveness and making amends, remember not to harm other people in the process. In Proverbs 12, it says this, thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. There's a way to do this that wounds in a way that heals. So there are some situations where it would be unwise to contact the person you hurt. Um, it could cause harm. There are some situations where you don't want to go back because it could open up a whole bag uh, of worms, right, and cause more problems than, than before. Um, there are some times when innocent people are involved, right? Like you don't want to go back to an old girlfriend or boyfriend now that they're remarried. You don't need to go and make amends to someone you had an affair with. Like, just let it lie. Like, no. Uh, some people, they don't even know you said anything bad about them. <laughs> so if you show up like, hey, I need to talk. I'm sorry, I've been saying all these bad things about you. I said like, you're ugly and you're stupid and I hate you. And then they're like, oh, I feel terrible now. <laughs> like, they didn't even know. That's, that's an example when it would harm them to do this. So you could use the empty chair technique. You could write a letter and not mail it, but you do what you can when you can. So here, here's what we're going to close with. Job chapter 11. We've all sinned. We've all struggled at times, but here's the solution. Put your heart right. Reach out to God. Put away evil and wrong from your home, then face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all your troubles will fade from your memory and life's darkest hours will shine like the dawn. That's what we gotta do. We gotta put our heart right. You receive God's forgiveness and you give other people forgiveness. 
And, and then it says, reach out to God. You gotta open your heart to God and say, God, I need you to come into my life. I need Jesus to save me and change me. And then when you experience the salvation and transformation that comes through Jesus, you can face the world again with courage. You don't have to retreat and hide in your shell. You can not be a victim anymore, but rather be victorious. You can say, I'm forgiven and I'm free and I'm a child of God and I'm gonna live my life in the victory that Jesus gives me. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I wanna receive that. I want that. I wanna pray for you first. Let's bow our heads for a moment. If you're like, I need to be saved, I need to reach out to God today and let Jesus come into my life and change me, then I'm just gonna invite you to pray this with me. Just say, God, I need you. I need you to save me and change me. I believe you have the power to do it. I believe that Jesus came into this world and lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again so I could have victory. And I know that if Jesus could rise again from the dead, then he has the power to raise me to life spiritually. I wanna live for Jesus from this day forward and honor you, God, with my choices. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And, and let me do this. Let me just pray for anyone who says, I need to forgive. Like there's someone in my life I need to forgive them or there's someone I need to ask forgiveness from and I'm struggling. Maybe you feel like, I know I'm supposed to forgive in my brain, but I don't want to forgive in my heart. So what you gotta do is you gotta pray, God, make me willing to forgive. Make me willing, God, and I know you can do that. So let's just pray that God would help us with this because I know it's really hard for some people. God, I pray that your peace would flood our hearts. I pray that you would change us and soften our hearts towards other people, even people who have hurt us. Lord, I pray that you would make us willing to forgive, and we know that if we're willing, you're able to do a miracle in us. God, I know that freedom and joy comes when we do what you tell us to do, and you've told us to forgive other people, and sometimes it's hard because we get focused on the hurt, but Lord, let us be reminded of how greatly you have already forgiven us for our sins. You allowed your son to be beaten and mocked and killed for our sins, and if you did that for us, then we can forgive other people. I pray that you would break the chains of unforgiveness in people's hearts and set them free and give them the courage to go and make amends where they need to that we would be people of peace who represent Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We pray for this in Jesus' name and we believe it's possible, amen.